And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Monday edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, we're getting ready to wrap up October today, tomorrow, and of course, tomorrow, uh, not only is it Halloween, but also the Federal Reserve starts their two-day November meeting. So they'll have their announcement on November 1st. But the good news is the candy bowl full, ready to go. Interestingly enough, though, candy sells down 3% this year. So actually 3.9%, it's almost 4 So people not So are people not buying as much candy, not expecting as many people to come by? Or is it just because candy is actually 20% higher than it was last October? So, inflation. So we'll see. So paying more, but spending less, right? Getting less, right? So I guess those full-size candy bars are now going to be out the window. Everybody's getting minis this year. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Halloween, uh, Halloween tomorrow. So finally, you know, you, know what, you know what it's really ticking me off right now? Christmas lights. Stop putting your freaking Christmas lights up already. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. We haven't got past Halloween. Jeez, just patience, right? My wife's, but look, it's in my household too. My wife's shopping for Christmas trees again this year. So, you know, just every year we go through the same mess anyway. (laughs) Um, All right, so a couple of things, uh, like I said, going on uh, this morning. Uh, to wrap up the month. Uh, this morning, McDonald's announced earnings or revenues uh, and, and estimates beat. So again, uh, good news for McDonald's. Interestingly though, SoFi, which is the lending group, right? So this is a company that makes loans and those type of things and consolidates debts and do, does all kinds of different things. But uh, SoFi is actually tightening up their lending standards going forward from here. So. You know, we've talked about this this you know, rise in interest rates and, you know, kind of the, the credit quality of, of loans and that risk there. Interesting to see kind of these more high-risk lenders like SoFi tightening up those lending standards. Again, that's reducing credit available to the markets. And we're seeing this everywhere. Bank lending standards are getting much tighter. And that is part of that, you know, that economic risk as we go forward. Now, you know, we just saw this for this big 4.9% uh, you know, GDP number last week, a lot of that driven by personal consumption expenditures. The National Bureau of Economic Research now expects that we will have a negative growth of 1.4% in the fourth quarter. So, uh, you know, the Eris Tour and Beyonce, all that fed into that third quarter earnings, all that consumer spending was people spending $1,500 for tickets to go see Taylor Swift. Um, but, oh, I don't know if you saw the football game this weekend. The Chiefs lost, yeah, to the Broncos. No, no, no. Uh, no. The Broncos played uh, shake it off, though, after the, after the win. So, <laughs> at the stadium. <laughs> so, anyway, but uh, nonetheless, you know, as, you know, these, tight, these lending standards tighten, right? So, as these lending standards tighten, that slows down the availability of credit, and that's going to feed into this, this idea of slower economic growth and slower earnings. Again, this lag effect is still out there, you know, kind of catching up with stuff. But, uh, you know, again, it just hasn't gotten here yet. And, and the one thing that we do 
as individuals is we tend to think that if somebody says something, right, um, you know, this function is going to create this outcome. And if it doesn't happen immediately, then we just assume that person's wrong and, you know, that this time is different, right? But that's not the way things work. Uh, especially when it comes to economics, which have very long lead times. And you know, we've talked about this lag effect so many times now, it's just ridiculous. But you know, we're getting to that point as we move into next year where that lag effect is going to start having an impact. But again, you're starting to see co uh, uh, companies like SoFi begin to tighten up their restrictions, other lenders tightening their restrictions, small businesses and small banks having, uh, you know, uh, small banks really tightening up their lending standards there, small businesses having much more difficulty acquiring capital uh, through the lending process and through credit um, than they were this time last year. So again, this is really feeding into a lot of the, uh, a lot of the economy where the activity happens. So you know, expecting slower growth certainly is not you know kind of outside the realm of reality as we get into next year. But again, we're just not there yet, right? Just just not there yet. Um, but you know, the negativity is certainly there. Um, and so here's what, you need to here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. I'll get that spit out. Uh, the, uh, the market sold off last week. And again, we, we took out that 200-day moving average. And we talked about that last week. They said, hey, you know, if we take that out, there's certainly some risk to the downside. Well, we did take that out. Remember, we talked about this, you know, given this uh, time for a confirmed break. And we had that initial break, a rally back above the 200-day moving average, and then fell back below, broke it. That was your confirmed break. And then following that, you had three straight days of, of down in the markets. And, and pretty significant uh, sell-off as well, uh, bringing the markets back to really this kind of cluster of support that we had um, back in May of this year. So again, you know, we, just, we basically took out this whole kind of of advance that we had following kind of this March bottom. We kind of consolidated along the whole month of April and May. Market really just didn't go anywhere. Then we broke out of that consolidation. And all we've done now is just give all that gain back. So at the, at the peak of the market in July, we were up you know, about 15% for the market for the year. We're now up about 10, uh, giving up that. We've had, a, we've had and, and again, remember back in June, we wrote that, you know, expect a 5 to 10% correction because that's completely normal with any given year. As of Friday, we completed a 10% correction. So, uh, you know, kind of everything that is normal within a market environment, especially in the year where the market was up 15% for the year already, you know, that's a very big run for a market in, in six months of the year. So giving some of that back, certainly not surprising. And that's exactly what, what has happened uh, so far. So again, nothing terribly bearish here, right? Just markets kind of gyrating and working the way they normally do. We got extremely overbought. We're now extremely oversold. So the opposite now sets up here to, as we talked about, having this kind of reflexive rally. Market's up a little bit this morning, but I wouldn't expect a lot out of the market until we get past the Fed meeting on Wednesday. Um, they're most likely going to keep things on hold here um, and, and probably signal that they're going to keep things on hold um, in terms of interest rate hikes, even in December when their, their next meeting comes up. So, you know, there's probably not a lot of risk here uh, in terms of, you know, the Fed hiking rates between now and year end, uh, unless we have some type of scorching inflationary number that comes in from somewhere or some other, you know, kind of geopolitical event happens that really puts pressure uh, on the overall environment. But outside of that, the market, you know, is under pressure here. Uh, no doubt, but very oversold. So be careful selling here 
um, as generally this is we're getting kind of to that level. We've got support, uh, previous support. We're oversold and so likely you're going to get a bit of a reflexive rally here. Use that rally to sell into, to reduce your risk, raise some cash, do what you need to do to kind of get your portfolio in a position as we approach year end. Once we get to January, February, March of next year, we'll have some other analysis. We'll have to figure out kind of where we're going to there, and particularly as we get into potentially a much weaker economic environment uh, in 2024. So again, just kind of pay attention to things here. Uh, you know, not a lot going on here over the weekend. Again, we're wrapping up earnings this week. We've got a, the kind of, by the end of this week, we'll have almost 80% of the S&P have reported. Apple uh, is the big report this week, but a lot of big companies reporting earnings all week. That is going to move the market. We've been uh, punishing companies that miss earnings, but not really rewarding them if they beat earnings. So this has been a real tenuous type uh, earnings season so far. But again, earnings will be the focus this week for the markets and of course the Fed meeting on Wednesday. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, got a lot of stuff to get into, so don't go away. Right, more coming up right here on The Real Investment Show. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, welcome back to the show this morning. Cold weather coming into Houston, anyway, about 48 to 49 degrees this morning. It was nice. Uh, you know, and of course, my wife loves the wintertime. So because it's, again, Christmas trees, it's decorating for Thanksgiving and all this stuff. But it's also the time of year she gets to pull out all of her winter blankets. So last night I crawl into bed and, you know, we have this kind of, we have this very thin blanket we use during the summer because we keep our house pretty warm um, just to save on electricity because I hate paying electric bills. So we have this kind of thin blanket that we use, um, you know, during the summer months, especially when it's hot. But she has all these winter blankets that she has that she loves because she loves when it's cold. She turns off the heat. She just lets the house get cold, cold, it's cold as it wants to be. And she just bundles up. So she loves that. And so last night she was all excited because it was, you know, this cold snap was coming in. So I walked outside to lock up my studio. Um, it was about eight o'clock last night and it's like 75 degrees outside, you know, then you can feel that cold, cold air starting to come in. So she's all excited. So she gets one of her winter blankets out, throws it on the bed. I woke up about three o'clock this morning. I am just soaking wet <laughs> from sweat, <laughs> so throwing the blankets off. <laughs> but anyway. Woke up this morning, 49 degrees, and so you know, winter is now officially here. So now we have you have to be careful. You know, normally, like in you know, up in Maine or you know, Virginia, Carolina, they have four seasons, right? You have summer, winter, fall, spring, and there's very clear delineations. But here in in, in Texas, we have like eight seasons because see, you have you have spring, you have actually fall, spring. Then you have winter come back, and then you have spring, and then you have a summer that lasts about two weeks, and then you have basically purgatory that lasts, you know, the entirety of August and September, which if you're in Texas, you've now lived through that. And so now we're into the 
first two little two week stretch of fall. Now this is a fake fall, mind you. It will heat back up <laughs> before we get into fall. <laughs> yeah, we have a second summer, and then we get back into fall again. And then you have winter, which is like a, a, a cool winter, and then it heats up again, and then you have the real winter, and that's like when we had the freeze a couple of years ago. That comes around February. So yeah, so you got it. So you have to understand in Texas we have lots of seasons to deal with. Um, but speaking of seasons, earnings season, uh, we're getting through that now. You know, we've it's been kind of an interesting earnings season so far because some big companies have really come in and, and killed it. Microsoft had great report. Um, Coca Cola had a good report. Google had really good report. Revenues were strong. They were a little bit light on their estimates, or I should say light on their growth for their cloud business, which really punished the stock a lot. So that, that's, and this, was, this is my point, is that Microsoft kills their report. They're up about 3% for the day, 3 4%. Google has a great report, a little bit light on their cloud business, and the stock's down 10%. Right, so this is what I'm talking about. It's like you know we're we're punishing companies that even slightly miss earnings, but but if you if you beat the estimates, you're not really getting rewarded that well. So this has been that kind of environment that we're in right now, which just tells you that a lot of these stocks are fully priced for perfection. So if you don't have perfection, you really get punished because you were being priced for perfection. So and, and again, if you come in a report. A great number is like, well, we've already priced that in. So you don't get really rewarded so much because stocks have already run up so much into the report. Um, out So far, out of the 235 companies that have reported third quarter results, sales growth has tallied about 5.1% according to the data. Earnings have expanded 14.5%. Sales and earnings have surprised consensus by about six-tenths of a percent and 8.9% respectively. So it's not bad so far. But again, you know, you have to really question a couple of things. One, how do you grow your sales at 5% but you grow your earnings at 14.5%? Right? That's profit margins. So your, you know, your profit margins are still holding up here. Uh, despite higher interest rates, which means that companies so far have been able to pass on the higher interest cost, higher inflation, those type of things, they've been able to pass that on to consumers. So, so far, so good. The question is sustainability of being able to do that. Now, will they be able to continue that? I don't know. We'll we'll find out in the next you know couple quarters. But you know, if the consumer is on the verge of slowing down, as the NBR is expecting in the next quarter then, you know, potentially we're going to hit that kind of that breaking point to where the consumer can no longer absorb it. And so the companies have to start absorbing the cost inputs because they can't pass it on anymore. That's going to impact profit margins. So that's one thing to kind of pay attention to. And, and you know, you can also kind of get a sense, if you, if you really kind of dig behind those numbers, you can get a sense that there is some growing stress on the financials in particular. And that's not surprising, right? I mean, if you take a look at their collateral values, those are down sharply because of higher interest rates. Um, the number of bad loans are starting to tick up. There's stress in their credit. 
their consumer credit areas. They're under pressure. And that's going to potentially affect future plans as well. And again, we talked about SoFi as an example um, today, just announcing that they're tightening up their lending standards. When banks start to run into financial troubles, they don't just respond by dealing with, oh, I've got some stress over here in my consumer credit division, so I'm going to just tighten up you know, who I'm giving credit cards to. They, they tend to see stress as a global stress, and so they tighten up everywhere, and they're seeing that stress. So they're gonna they're gonna make this move. They're gonna they're gonna downshift into becoming much more restrictive about who they give loans to, business wise, consumer wise, etc. They're gonna really start to batten down the hatches. Credit is the lifeblood of the economy. So if you if you tighten up the credit because of financial stresses, that also leads to a slower economic environment. Because again, I got to get credit to grow. So. It's, it's, this, it's this vicious loop that you get yourselves into. I tighten up over here. I'm going to tighten up my lending standards, which means I give less loans out. That's good for my business, right? Because now I'm going to be much more conscious about who I'll loan money to. But now that I'm not giving loans out, there's no money to grow. So the economy slows down. More people start to default. As they start to default, that feeds back into the bank. The bank says, oh, we got to tighten up even more. And so you see, you get into this virtual spiral within the, the economy. That's how things eventually kind of unwind themselves. And you get into this, this as you get to this feedback loop. You know, if, uh, and again, this all ties back to, the 11 Fed rate hikes that we've had so far. So not surprising, the Fed's hiking interest rates. That has nothing to do with the long end of the curve, right? That has nothing to do with 10-year loans, 30-year loans, those type of things, right? So the Fed affects the short end of the lending environment. Economic growth, inflation, that's what really drives the long end. So the Fed is tightening up that short end. Where is that short end? That's consumer credit, Right? That's credit card debt, variable rate debt, auto loans. You know, that's where the Fed really operates. And so you're seeing that feed now into these bank report, these bank earnings reports. We're seeing that feed into some of these other company reports. We're seeing that feed into some of the economic data. You know, it's interesting if you take a look at the GDP report um, last week, it was 4.9% GDP growth, big chunk of that driven by consumers. And, and again, you know, you can attribute that back to Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Lots of consumer spending in the third quarter to go see those, that, those concerts. And that had, believe it or not, that was billions of dollars that had an impact on GDP growth. Problem with that is, of course, is that, you know, whether or not that is sustainable and what's going to be the, the feedback into the fourth quarter, right? You get a payback for that, right? I, I spent $1,500 to go see this concert. Now in the fourth quarter, I don't have that $1,500 to spend. And by the way, I spent the $1,500 now because I knew my student loan payment was going to start next month anyway. So I might as well go have some fun and live it up now because next month when I get into October, I got to start paying my student loan payment again, right? So we've got these kind of feedback loops that are coming in. 
And as we were talking about before, it's just a question of where do they show up within the economy. Um, con- you know, and, and if you if you listen to these earnings uh, calls in particular, you're starting to get a sense that these higher interest rates are beginning to penetrate areas of of all businesses, not just banks and not just you know. Uh, staples or discretionary, you know, we're seeing higher interest rates now impact tech tech companies, and we're seeing it impact um, energy companies. We're seeing it impact uh, utility companies. So, you know, we're seeing these these higher interest rates from the Fed really starting to get reflected in a lot of these earnings calls that are going around. Companies are making mention of higher interest costs and the impacts on their business. So. You know, it's just something to pay attention to. And again, we were talking about this kind of feedback loop. So far, so so good with earnings. And again, Apple this week. We've got uh, some more big companies, and you know, we'll we'll see how we get through this quarter. But keep paying attention, you know, to what these companies are saying because they're telling us a lot about what 2024 is potentially going to look like. All right, we'll come back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so we'll go back to the show this morning um so a couple things you know we were talking about you know consumer credit and consumer spending in the second quarter in the second quarter which you know uh, I'm sorry, third quarter, uh, which really held things up well and got us, you know, into that. This whole idea is like, oh, the economy's doing fantastic and it's doing wonderful and all this type of stuff. And 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 again, the 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 report was good on the surface. Um, just don't dig down too much into it. But it was it was a good, strong economic report. Now that number will get revised down, most likely you know, in the next year or so. Again, it won't matter because nobody cares about revisions too much. But, you know, likely we're going to see that revision. Now, here's the here's the important part, though. Because of that report, you now have a lot of comments going, see, no recession. No, there's no recession coming. And you got to be really careful with that because prior to every, there's two things you have to understand about recessions um, and the way that they're dated and these type of things. And we've talked about the National Bureau of Economic Research, and I've got a report on this coming out on Friday um, as well. But, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research waits for the data to be revised before they date the recession. As an example, March of 2020, uh, we shut down the economy. Now, clearly, when you're going to shut down the economy, you're going to have what? A recession. I mean, that, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to say... If you shut down the economy and you tell people they can't go shop, they can't leave their house, 
they can't go to work, you're going to have a recession because that's just a fun. You're just killing economic activity. And and but the important thing was it took 16 months before the National Bureau of Economic Research came out and said, oh, yeah, the recession started in, in February 2020. 16 months. Now, if you were waiting on that announcement to make a change to your portfolio, your outlook, whatever it is, it's too late. December of 2008, they said, oh, yeah, the recession started 12 months earlier in December of 2007. So, again, let's go go back in, in history. And what you find out is, is that by the time the recession is announced... All the data has changed. So if you could go back and look at the unrevised data, right? Now, you can't, you can't get this data. But if you could, what you would find out is that prior to every economic recession, you always had great economic data. As an example, the, in, in 2007, December of 2007, nobody thought there was a recession coming. According to Ben Bernanke, it was a Goldilocks economy. Subprime was contained. The economy is growing well over 2% in December of 2007. Yet you're in a recession. You just didn't know it for 12 months because we were waiting on that data to get revised. But that's been the case all the way through history. If you take a look at retail sales data as an example, Retail sales are always strong just prior to a recession because we haven't revised the data yet. But this is the problem with looking at trailing economic data and saying, okay, everything must be okay because all the trailing economic data is fine. Well, it hasn't been revised yet. And this is where you have to become a little bit like Sherlock Holmes, right? And, and kind of look at the clues of what's going on and, and how that's going to impact or affect economic activity. So what is economic activity? GDP. How do we calculate that? So GDP is personal consumption expenditures, which is about 68 69% of GDP. 40% of that number is retail sales. Then you have government spending, you have business investment, and you have net exports, which is kind of a, a um, you know a measure of what we're exporting out to other countries. Of course, you know if we export a good or service, then we're getting paid for that exportation. So that's part of the economic equation. So if personal consumption expenditures make up roughly two thirds actually more than two-thirds, of the economic equation. That's probably the, the one thing you really want to kind of focus on more than anything else because that's going to drive whatever happens there is going to – it doesn't matter. You could have business investment go through the roof and it only makes up about 15% of GDP. So, I mean, you could literally have businesses throwing lock, stock, and barrel on the business investment side – And it still wouldn't keep the economy out of a recession if the consumer contracts because the consumer makes up so much of the GDP report, right? 
just going to read to you um, some data here from the from Yahoo Finance. I thought it was an interesting uh, report this morning. American cardholders paid a record $130 billion in interest and fees in 2022. And this is according to a new government report. Now, what we were doing in 2022, we were hiking rates. The study released on Tuesday by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was part of the government watchdog's biennial, bi, biennial, biennial, biennial. You know why? You know what the problem is? It's spelled wrong here in the report. <laughs> yeah. Report to Congress. The breakdown of the breakdown was credit card companies charged consumers more than 105 billion in interest and some 25 billion in fees last year. Overall, it was the highest amount recorded in the CFPB's data history, which you know that that I don't know how far their history goes back, but they, they, that bureau has only been around about 10 years, I think. So now this is coming at a time, of course, where we have a trillion dollars of outstanding credit card debt. So, you know, just the function of interest rates and the function of, you know, the economy has been one driven by leverage. So if we go back and look at history, go back to 1980, and look at average net worth to households, those type of things, right? So back in, so, you know, we, everybody wants to talk about the 70s, right? Oh, we're having inflation like the 70s. Okay, back in the 70s, average net, net worth, uh, household net worth had about 60% of debt, right? These didn't have much, 150% of debt today. So the economy is driven by debt and leverage. So Obviously, if you're running a trillion dollars in credit card debt in, you know, over a period of time, that's got to be serviced. If I'm servicing debt, I've got to take my income. So I have, you know, I, I go to work, uh, I get paid. So my paycheck comes in and I've got to pay my bills, right? So what bills do I have to pay? I've got to pay my, my house note or my rent, got to pay my car note. Got to pay my utilities, got to pay my, my cable, you know, whatever it is. But I got to pay that credit card interest at least. I've got to pay the, the minimum payment, okay? The more that interest rate goes up, the more that minimum payment goes up. So the important thing is, is that if I'm paying those things, it's distracting from my ability to buy other stuff in the economy. My disposable income is being reduced by higher rates. So the problem, of course, for a lot of Americans, and so far it's been okay because consumers have been able to figure out how to spend money, right? They're either borrowing on credit cards. They had a lot of money coming in from the stimulus payments, a lot of money that was floating around from you know additional government services, moratorium on payments, those type of things. All those things are coming to an end. Savings as a percentage of disposable income are falling pretty quickly, so, so far, consumers have been able to kind of navigate this economic environment with some ability. But with that debt service rising, that ability to continue to face that headwind is going to become a lot more challenging. And as interest rates and fees increased in 2022, this is from the report, we're finding that more and more Americans are having a harder time servicing that debt. According to the report, the average credit card holder 
carried a $5,200 balance on their credit card at the end of 2022. That is up 24% from 2021 lows. Remember, so everybody got stimulus checks. They went and paid off some of their credit card debt, right? Now they've run it back up. Um, marking a return to late 2019 levels. Cardholders with prime credit scores, those between 660 and 719. Now, that, imagine that, right? You've got a 660 to 719 credit score, and that's, that's considered prime credit. Right now, we're not talking about 720s and up. We're not talking about 800 credit scores. We're talking about 660s. That's prime credit. Those shouldered the highest debt levels with average balances of $9,135, $9,135 at the end of 2022. So obviously, this is a little bit day to day to that. Those numbers are higher now, right? Among major credit card issuers, 82% of total debt was revolving. And that means that they're that when you talk about revolving credit, that is where consumers are carrying a balance. It's revolving, right? Only 18% of consumers surveyed said they were able to pay off their full balances by their due date. In 2020, that number was 51.3% of consumers carried a balance the next month. Only 48% said that they could pay it off right so these numbers are just getting massively worse as we go forward so that debt burden weighing on the consumer all right we'll come back talk more about the economy markets get you ready for the day don't go away daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so the big news this week of course is the fed meeting that starts tomorrow on halloween coincidence i think not <laughs> Could be scary. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, so they start their meeting on Tuesday. The uh, Their announcement will be on Wednesday. And, of course, uh, they'll, uh, Jerome Powell will have his commentary after and uh, during the press conference. Now, I wouldn't expect anything different than what he just said week before, uh, you know, Thursday last, right? Um, so not last week, but the previous Thursday. Jerome Powell had that uh, speech at the Economic Council and basically said, you know, that there's no need to hike rates right now. Everything's still kind of within their targets and that interest rates in the bond market have been doing their work for them. And here I'll just kind of read to you from the Wall Street Journal this morning. The Federal Reserve, uh, Federal Reserve officials have said for more than a year now that beating inflation could require to hold interest rates higher for longer than investors expected. Now, here's what's interesting. I was reading an article over the weekend talking about how wrong the Fed always is. 
and now they're wrong this time. They were wrong about inflation being transitory, although it really kind of has been because, you remember, interest rates ran up to like 9%. Now we're down to 3.7, 3.9. So, I mean, inflation is going away. It just didn't go away as fast as people wanted. So was the Fed wrong? Yeah, depends on your time frame. But nonetheless, the Fed was wrong about inflation being transitory. And now the argument is that interest rates have to keep going up because the Fed's wrong now, but they're wrong about being higher for longer. It's very confusing what they're saying. If they're wrong about higher for longer, that means rates have to come down. So if they're going to break something or have a recession, whatever it is. So got to kind of figure out what they're trying to say, but this is the issue. The swift run-up in long-term Treasury yields to around 5% from 4% in early August suggests Wall Street now agrees that uh, that interest rates will be higher for longer. As a result, borrowing costs for U.S. businesses and households are rising in ways that could allow the Fed to suspend its historic run of interest rate increases. Now, this is what I was just talking about with credit cards. Credit card rates are up 4% from last year. And now we're talking, you're talking about credit card rates that are running 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27%. So what the Fed is going to say on Wednesday is very much that same thing as saying, look, you know, we've hiked rates. The run up in interest rates from 4 to 5% in the last couple of months is the equivalent of about three more rate hikes by the Fed. So technically, if you look at the current interest rate environment and the Fed rate, the Fed rate is effectively 6%, not five and a quarter. So that's that break on the economy that we were just talking about. It's going to hit consumers and it's going to hit spending where, where it counts the most, which is personal consumption expenditures. Hasn't seemed to yet doesn't mean it won't doesn't mean this time is different it could be right this time could be different for one reason or the other just most likely it's not going to be now here's the interesting part uh, of the comment from wall street journal because a resilient economy threatens to slow recent progress on inflation the impact of higher yields on the economy is set to feature predominantly in deliberations at the Fed two-day policy meeting. The central bank, which lifted its benchmark short-term rate to 22-year high in July, is expected to hold steady this week. The Fed's raised interest rates at the fastest pace in four decades to combat soaring inflation. Now, because of... I'm going to go back to the first part of the sentence, which was because a resilient economy threatens to slow uh, recent progress on inflation. So in other words... If you have strong economic growth, you have what? Strong spending, which is what we just saw last month. How do I stop strong spending? Hike interest rates. Interest rates eat into the spending budget. People run out of money. They can't spend money. Economy slows down. Inflation falls with it. Remember, inflation is a function of economic activity. Interest rates are ultimately a function of economic activity. Those are all very correlated, hooked at the hip. So 
why does the Fed want higher interest rates? They want higher interest rates to basically kill the consumer. Not really kill them, just beat them about the head and shoulders a bit till they'll stop spending. <laughs> you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And we're just not there yet. And so the problem is that as higher yields tighten financial conditions, and again, we have plenty of evidence. We have some of the tightest financial conditions on record right now, going back to the 70s. That this is going to ultimately impact economic growth. If it impacts economic growth, it impacts earnings. It will slow earnings and it will reduce profit margins. So the risk as we get into next year for the markets is going to be a disappointment in these earnings estimates, which right now are being ratcheted up. It is expected that this quarter is the trough in earnings and that earnings are going to grow all through 2024. That's likely going to be a disappointment, which suggests lower valuations, doesn't mean the market's going to crash, but it does suggest that markets may be a bit more challenged next year in terms of whatever advance comes. And again, more volatility, those type of things. Now, if higher yields, I'm going to read to you this again, Wall Street Journal, if higher yields are tightening financial conditions because investors expect the Fed will have to raise rates higher, the Fed would have to follow through or risk an easing in financial conditions, which could spur inflation. This is why the Fed keeps leaving out there that one more rate hike. And Jerome Powell will reiterate this on Wednesday. He'll say, hey, we're not going to hike rates. Again, he's going to say the same thing he just said at the, at the Economic Council. We're not going to hike rates. Interest rates are doing our job for us right now, but... The economy remains strong. We just saw this 4.9% GDP. So if we need to hike rates, we will. If we need to. They're not going to take that one rate hike off the table. They're going to leave it hanging out there. The reason is, is because the Fed is, if, if Jerome Powell came out and said, hey, we're done hiking rates, right? We, we've hit our limit. We are sufficiently tight enough immediately the market's going to take off running. You're going to be up 3-4% of the markets in a day or two. That's going to boost consumer confidence. Consumers look at their bank accounts and go, oh, I've got more money now. I'm going to go spend some more money. And they go back out to spending more money because the stock market's going up and they have increased confidence. That leads to keeping inflation sticky. So... They, so verbally, we've talked about verbal accommodation before. So verbally, the Federal Reserve has to keep this idea of this rate hike sitting out there. They're never going to tell you they're done hiking rates because of the market response that would occur immediately following. Because if, they, if you say, hey, I'm done hiking rates, what's the next logical move? I'm going to cut rates. What does the market want? Market wants lower rates. If I have lower rates, I can justify higher valuations. So the Fed's never going to tell you they're done hiking rates. It's like an IRS audit. They never tell you they're done with the audit. They just stop sending you letters. <laughs> you just kind of assume they're done because they, they stop sending you letters. <laughs> but that's going to be what we're going to hear on Wednesday. And again, we'll you know we'll we'll you know we'll talk about it on Thursday with Michael Leibowitz. The entire market will, of course, 
you know, hash and and dissect and and you know, parse out every word looking for clues as to what happens next. But you know, there's a clear shift that is coming with the Federal Reserve. And it's starting to take note in the markets. Again, we saw last week, you know, the Magnificent Seven finally got hit. And again, you know, it looked a lot last week like a hedge fund or somebody was being forced to liquidate. That didn't seem, you know, the the amount of decline that occurred so rapidly in those big kind of big names where money's been hiding seemed a bit exaggerated. That looked more like a liquidation event than a normal sell-off within a market because of those stocks' weightings in so many ETFs. So there was something, it seemed to be something else going on. We won't, we won't know for a while if that's the case. We may eventually hear a story about some hedge fund that was in trouble, that had to, you know, was, was forced to, you know, unwind itself. You know, that's happened in the past. We'll see. But it certainly began to, you know, the, the issue of higher rates and valuations are certainly starting to to represent themselves in the overall market. So, again, we'll pay attention to this. But tomorrow that meeting starts. Wednesday we'll have the announcement. Thursday we'll talk about it here on the show. But uh, right now uh, markets are up about uh, 200 points on the Dow. So a little bit of a reversal from Friday's uh, kind of weak performance. And so we'll see how markets play out today. And we'll be back tomorrow. Talk about it right here on The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest article is out, our newsletter as well, talking about probabilities and possibilities. That's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure and subscribe and like uh, this channel. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. it. Keeps us doing what we're doing, and we'd like, we love to do it every day. So we appreciate your support, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.